My name's Jason Fleming, and this is the More Than My Past podcast from the Forward Trust. Mandy was born to a single mother and grandmother who both experienced substance abuse, depression, self-harm and sex work, all of which Mandy had to witness from a young age. She suffered childhood abuse, often by her mother's clients, and was herself sold for sex as a child before turning to drugs and crime. She spent two decades in and out of Holloway Prison as a repeat offender. Remarkably, Holloway later became the venue of her first legitimate paid job as a rehab worker with Wrapped, the Forward Trust previous name, once she got clean. She's since set up the Treasures Foundation, which helps women with substance misuse issues and housing needs through recovery houses in East London. Her work in the addiction field was recognised when she carried the Olympic torch to the Guildhall in the build-up to London 2012. Mandy's story is one of triumph in the face of true adversity. Mandy, you've, you've been reported to have been, you know, on hard class A drugs and heroin, you know, as young as 11, 12, 13. And how, firstly, how, how did that happen? And secondly, was it in prison that, that you started your rehab or had you done that before? No, the, the drugs started through family members. My mum was an addict, but she didn't um, start me on the heroin. It was through um, other family members. And like heroin became my best friend. I used to sleep with a, a syringe underneath my pillow as so I went to bed with my partner, <laughs> sadly. Um, yeah, I wasn't 11 and 12 when I started using heroin, injecting heroin. Uh, I started injecting heroin in my late teens. I was snorting um, cocaine and and taking pills and spliff and all that kind of stuff yeah. um, prior to that. But in prison, sadly, oh, my gosh, sharing needles, you sharpen them on the matchbox. Wow. But I can remember in prison because, like, you depend on your visits, right? And and then after a while, you know, because I remember them bringing my little, my little boy up. Three of my boys were born addicted to heroin. And I remember them bringing one of my little boys up. And when I'm speaking this, it's, it's because it's just showing the powerlessness. Um, because I love, I love my kids. Uh, but the, once I put a drug in me, that becomes my first love. Um, and I can remember him bringing my little boy up to visit me and they passed him over, but I'm looking for the parcel and I dropped him on the table and I was so angry that they hadn't brought me a parcel. It was like, well, why have you come to see me? Uh, because it was like in prison, you talk about sweet visits, um, you know, and it's only a sweet visit if you if you get a parcel, uh, and that's how twisted it is, you know. It's like in reality, a sweet visit is just seeing your newborn baby. Yeah. Um, but because of that, there's distorted thinking around the drugs. Did you detox in prison then, or, or is that I mean, loads? It, so, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> loads, loads, loads. That was a part of my life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the drugs that come into prison are, like you said, through parcels, through visits, or are posted in, or are sold in prison. So, how would you, Mandy, if you if there was a young woman in prison who wanted heroin, how would you would you be able to buy that on the corridors, or would you have to have that brought in yourself for yourself? Well, to be fair, I mean, like, it depends who you are in prison. Some people would just get it in on a visit. Uh, they get it in on, on or they get it posted in, in under stamps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but to be fair, I've seen women really demoralize themselves for a cigarette. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, switch from being straight to do whatever just to get whatever. They need, yeah. 
you know, I've, I've obviously spoken to a lot of people who had a difficult start, but with yours, it just seemed relentlessly, relentlessly hard. We're obviously going to talk about your escape from that and, you know, your 20 years, you know, for 20 years you were in and out of Holloway. And then relatively recently you went back as a paid worker, you know, you went back in those gates. That must have been an amazing feeling. It was an amazing feeling, but to be fair, it's like Holloway was sadly, it was like my second home. And that's what um, was sad to be able to escape and, and go to prison for a break is is um, reflective of what my life was like out in the community. But, but, but yeah, no, I loved it. I loved, I loved Holloway. I loved um, being on the other side. Yeah. And it took me a while to remind myself that I was on the other side. I can remember one of the governors calling me for something and, and I forgot I've gone straight into fear what I've done. I'm nicked. And so were the governors, were the, were the prisoners, guards, you know, workers that you knew from being inside when you went back? There was a few there. And to be fair, I, I mean, I'd say good morning every time I went in there and, and I'd get blanked. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd still say good morning, good morning. And it must have, it went on for a long while until I was started to, people started to respond um, but the the thing was, when they responded back and say, said good morning and then wanted a conversation, I thought, hang on a minute. It just revealed to me how anti-authority I was because I was yeah. to myself, I'd be saying, okay, I was only saying good morning. I don't want a conversation. Yeah. Then afterwards, I'd challenge myself in that and, and, and get to know the officers and, and they're just real human beings. <laughs> sure. I can't. And, with, <laughs> and were, there, were, there, were there inmates that were still there, Mandy, that... You know, oh my you... gosh! I'd go and do. I remember one of those are quite a few actually girls that I knew from street that I used to work with. When I say work, I mean you know what I mean graft with and stuff like that. But I remember doing an, an assessment of one of the girls, right, and, and a friend of mine, um, and and she said, I said to her, "When did you start using?" She goes, "Don't you remember, man?" And I went, <laughs> "Oh my gosh, I didn't give it to you, did I?" And she goes, "No, it was in Bordeaux." And I went, "Oh yeah, I remember." <laughs> oh my gosh. I just was thinking of you going back in and just that to feel the pride of going back with um with carrot you first went back in or the rehab of it yeah I went in through rat it was rat yeah, was, rat. yeah well, it's through through um rats that I went in as a carrot worker as a as a trainee and and yeah I was petrified in the office I was all right on the landings put me on yeah, the landings yeah. in the gym on the exercise yard I was but in the office, when the phone rang, I thought, I ain't touching that. I ain't picking that up. Don't know what to say to this lot. <laughs> but then it took me a while. I'd mimic their words and stuff. Then after a while, I thought, you know what? You, you're all right just being you. <laughs> you know, Mandy, it's, it's really interesting. It's That idea of picking up a phone is terrifying. Or people don't understand. They don't understand what, what self-esteem does to you, you know, that lack of self-esteem does to you or, or, or self-doubt, you know, like, I've often spoken to people who say they can't open a door. You know, they see the door and they see the knob and they're like, well, I don't know if, it, if you pull it or if you push it. And I'm like, well, just turn the handle and you'll work it out. But those simple things, people, you know, going back to work who, who are sort of second generation or first generation unemployed and the simplest things that you, that you and me can do now and the confidence you have, not like present the Oscars confidence, but just the confidence to believe that you're capable of doing what you need to do to get through the day. And people do not understand that you know, especially with people who've been through the prison system or addiction, that those tiny bits of self-belief don't exist. Absolutely. And I think that's where the breakdown is, because like you do a little spell in prison and then they say, oh, just 
get your benefits, keep this appointment, and they don't get it, we just can't do it. There's like an invisible wall that we're just incapable of doing that. And that's what really led me to wanting to do the supported houses yeah. uh, for the women um, because like they have this space to be able to grow in confidence and start to believe in themselves. Because um, it, I tell you, when I used to be in prison and they'd say, keep this appointment, da 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 da, da I wasn't going to keep the appointment. My security was just going down King's Cross, go and score a bit of gear, and then I'd feel safe. But then I'd be back in that endless loop again and back in prison. But like you said, they don't <clears throat> understand. They don't understand. And they get, you know, people people get frustrated and impatient really, really quickly. And you're like, no, you don't get it. You know, you don't get it. If you're telling someone to turn up to an office, or to go into a building, the actual going in the door is a huge, a huge mountain to climb, you know. And I was listening to, you know, your colleague, I think she's called Viv. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So Viv is such a great example. You know, she, she's working, she's paying taxes and she's contributing. And you can see when she speaks the journey that she's had to get there, you know, that just the simple things, the simple discipline, you know, the lack of chaos that now that's in her life is, it's really inspiring, you know, for me who recognises that. I'm like, good for you, Viv, man. That's amazing, you know, because she's just functioning, you know. She's functioning, and that's a huge ask for a lot of people. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, your charity to the people listening. It's called the Treasures Foundation. Talk to me about that, Mandy, because that obviously with... 4,000 women in the UK in prison, that's nine rooms is a drop in the ocean, but a very needed one. And obviously it's helped a lot of people. So you want to tell me a little bit about the creation of that? Well, I was I was still working in Holloway when, when the first house um, prior to the, these houses came about. And, and, and what it was, I was sharing somewhere. And, and this man who's in recovery, he, he come up to me and he goes, um, I was sharing, I need houses for women. And he's come up to me and said, I've got a house. Well, of course, I don't believe you. <laughs> so I'm asking for something. And when it's given to me, I'm thinking, no, nah, you're up to something. So I blanked him for a whole year. And then I'm back somewhere else speaking again. And he's come up to me and he said, Mandy, I'm married. I'm a successful businessman and I've got a house you can have, you can use. Anyway, so I ended up taking this one house, wow. um, but I was still working in Holloway. And, and what it was, I didn't want to let go of Holloway. That was my comfort zone. And um, it came around where um, this man's wealthy, he's in recovery, and he showed me a plot of land, and he goes, man, I'm building houses here, a couple of houses. Do you want them? And, and my attitude was, who are you? Who do you think you are? Yeah. Anyway, that's what I was thinking in my head, and I just blanked the house and said, no, I don't want them. So I'm coming out of prison, and I get a text saying, man, I've got three houses. Um, come and have a look at them. Anyway, I phoned him up, and I said, um, I'm sorry, I can't come. And all I know, what it was, I was afraid to go into my into my destiny. So anyway, he said to me, okay, wherever you are, I'll come and get you. So anyway, I ended up coming over to these houses that we've got now. And, and as soon as I see these houses, I just knew that this was the vision. <laughs> so I said to him, I'm going to, okay, I'm going to have to leave the prison. And he just said, whatever the prison's paying you, I'll give you. And that's how these houses became about. And and to be fair, uh, the, the planning of these houses has unfolded as I've been walking in it. Yeah, and it's still unfolding. Uh, we've been here for quite a few years now, and, and what, what I found is with the women that come here, it could take up to maybe, I don't know, we've had, we've had 
instances where it's taken a year for a girl to take off her clothes to go to bed because she's afraid of the abuser coming in. It could take up to clear the amount of time. We've got another girl uh, where she wouldn't, she didn't wash unless the houses were empty because of her abuser. We had ladies that have hiding bags of sick in their wardrobes and not being able to talk about their bulimia for numbers of months or a year. So what I'm trying to say is that with these houses, there's no deadline. Yeah. Right? We, we, I mean, it's unrealistic to say, right, we give you six months and then you've got to be well. Um, as the healing unfolds and their recovery unfolds, then we just work with them wherever they're at. And, and what's been going on, we've got girls been here for, for quite a while and, and what, what our problem has been is moving them on. Yeah. Because what it is, right, I mean, when I say they, I mean the system don't understand, they stick us in a rehab and then, then expect to put us in unsafe places. You do really well in, 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 in one place and then next minute they want to put you in a hostel that's rife with drugs. And, and, and then you're just back to being vulnerable again and it continues. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know, I mean, the more I learn about that cycle, it seems even in a heartless and practical way, you know, the cost of the system based on care and compassion like you're doing, the cost of that compared to the cost of the continuation of punishment and incarceration, it just doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It's nonsense. It, it doesn't make any sense, you know, in the same way as like foster care is cheaper than a residential children's home. It's like what you're doing, Mandy, works and is cheaper in the long run than this continuing cycle. Absolutely. You know, look, at Viv, look at Viv, you know, I mean, like she's now contributing. You know what I mean? That was never going to happen. And it's breaking the cycle in her grandchildren and her children you know, and I think that's another thing as well for for women. It's breaking that cycle for our children because I know that that I got clean when my kids were little and, and and well seven and eight, two of them, and the other two were older and they were very much out there on the streets and that. But the two younger ones, they haven't got criminal records. You know, they're looking at their own businesses. They're totally different. And it's just that depressing predictability of children growing up in poverty, how we break that. And, and you know, you're doing it and it just surely people who view what's happening as women come out of prisons and they see what you, what happened to the people you get hold of and they can see what happens to the people you don't get hold of and they can see the difference. It's blatantly obvious to me that that's the way. I mean, some of the supported houses are, are horrendous as well because my son had to go in one, right? And, and and it was it was like a crack house. Well, it was a crack house. And in his room, he had no quilt. There was no curtains. There was no heating. There was no hot water. And I'm thinking, how are you putting somebody into something like that and they're messed up and you're putting them into that with nothing? Yeah. I, you know, I was mucking around on the internet trying to find out stuff about you and there was a the thing called the uh, Coulston Report, wasn't there? That was that's fifteen years old about the situation of women coming out of prison and nowhere with nowhere to go, you know. And that was fifteen years ago, I think. And 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 it doesn't seem that much has changed apart from people like yourself and uh, the people that have created those safety nets for for women coming out of prisons, rather than the state doing it. Just do we, our bit in it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it's more than a bit, you know. It really is. Thank you. 
Hello, my name is Pete Ellison. This is Dave Cribb. Hello, and we do a podcast called Friends with Friends, as you might have guessed from the music that's playing underneath, uh, which is a sort of lo-fi rendition of the Friends theme tune for rights reasons. We get a different guest on every week on our podcast to talk about their favourite episode of Friends. And we look through it in excruciating detail. We pick through levels of plots like no one has ever done before. So if you like Friends or just listening to people talking, which are both valid activities, do look us up on the old podcast app and that friends with friends and we're on twitter at friends wf there's a great video of um the people you are helping in south africa you know that video that's uh, that's around and about of the people in the sort of a, it's a it looks like a concrete playground that they're sitting in a meeting of some sort and they're all dancing around and and it's such a lovely thing. They're basically basically what happened was that Mandy's charity uh, paid for people in recovery in South Africa. The 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 joy that's in their faces is amazing, isn't it, Mandy? That video. Absolutely. Because I'll tell you something, man. I mean, like, I see them come out of prison in Cape Town, and 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 even I, I think, well, they haven't got a choice. Yeah. Did they, I mean, literally. I mean, we've got a lot of support agencies over here. Literally, there's nothing there, and we, and we there is a lot of stuff here but but like you say it's for the individual to realize that they have got a choice because when you when you're caught up in it you don't think you've got a choice other than to use because I didn't know that I, I did I could stop I didn't understand that all I had to do was not pick up and use I didn't get that I thought I had to in order to function in order to it was my way of life I didn't I didn't get it where do you go Matt you are you in Joburg no, we go Cape Town and um, we go Mitchell Plain and Hanover Park where, and work with a lot of the gang members and a lot of the gang members that have, have now cleaned up and that. So we, we've got some good connections where we go. We work with an organisation called Ceasefire and, and, and they, they call a ceasefire when, when we was doing talks on the street so the, the, the gangs will stop shooting each other for a certain amount of time and then then you just got to come off because they're going to start it's literally like cowboys and indians out there yeah talking about um the treasures foundation and those the, the rooms in newham how many people have been through through that do you know what? I, won't, I can't count but there's been quite a few um because we get we get women that um the girls that we've got at the minute have stayed for a few years mm-hmm. but in in the beginning we'd get girls that be there six months a year then we'd move them on so we've had we've had quite a few um come through i can't put a number to it to be fair and is it like is the idea you would i think you touched on it earlier maybe you could talk a bit more about it but it's like a pyramid system isn't it that in theory mandy that they would do that and then like viv they would then go back and work not necessarily professionally in in the business of recovery but that they would then help the next person you know is that the idea Absolutely. We've got a lady here at, at the minute and she is absolutely a master at art. Oh yeah. I mean, I I've that. never known anybody that can teach art the way this girl teaches art. You know, I, I've done art in school and in prison and in rehabs. And, and from just doing one session with this girl, what she gave me, and she's just got that gift. Yeah. So she's taking art classes here. So she's using her gifts and skills here and then when she moves on to the uh, second phase to the flats 
she'll come back, do volunteer, then we'll pay her. We'll get we'll get trustees to like, start looking for some money to pay her because she's it's a gift that she's got. I saw that stuff, and she hasn't done it for years, has she? And because you've yeah. now in that safe space, it brought her paintbrushes out again. Yeah, Amazing. yeah. Amazing. They've all got skills. We've all got hidden treasures that in the right safe environment we feel safe enough, just safe enough to, to let the whatever's covering it to be unveiled. Yeah. We've all got these treasures and it just needs that safe environment. I mean, you know, working with girls just cleaning their room, cleaning, you know, take months before they even see that they're, they don't clean their room. It's just me a lifetime just to be present and I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the real key, I think, that, that listen, the people who are listening have already practically managed to get to a podcast that's called More Than My Past. So there's a compassion to that or an interest in that. But no one is one thing. And, and I think that that's been my biggest lesson and the, the thing that I've learned, the biggest blessing that I've taken from the work that we've been doing on this podcast is that no one is one thing. And they'll surprise you like that mate of yours who's now painting. You're like, where did that come from? Absolutely. She's got so many gifts. And, and, and all she wants to do is give back. She's just so grateful. And, and that's another thing, you know, um, when we get the gratitude, you know, because I, I remember growing up, like born in the 60s and the mixed race and that, and made to believe that I'm wrong, I'm not good enough, and, and, and thought that I'm not good enough. I remember when my dad died, he said I'd die in the gutter of a prostitute like my mother, you know, and that's coming from my own family member. I used to think that I was my mother, yeah. you know, and don't get me wrong, I love my mum, you know, but there's a lot of dark stuff that went on in the house. I'm not my mum, I am Mandy. You know, and, and, and what recovery is doing for me, I'm learning out who I am, what I like, why I behave the way I behave. I just, I wasn't born a label on my head, you're going to be a thief and a prostitute. That was not my ambition in life. No, no. You know, it's just all this dysfunction and, and, and stuff and generational stuff that's been handed down from one family to another, carrying other people's baggage that doesn't even mm. belong to me. Mm. You know, and then you get society that just wants to give you more baggage, you know, by even saying to you, why do you go in there? Because you see them them as pressures, you you know, as, as people, as human beings that deserve a, a shot at life. I was just looking at some facts and figures about incarcerated women and how prevalent it is that women who are guilty of crimes or have been arrested for crimes and how that cycle of, you know, that cycle of abuse that we were talking about and how the majority of people that, that are in the nick for crimes, especially for violent crimes, are in that circle of abuse, you know, that, that they've been physically or sexually abused. And it's a reaction usually against the perpetrator or, or against, you know, members of their own family or partners. It seems that that's so common, isn't it? Those people doing long stretches of time for violent crimes who are female. It's about, you know, a slow burn. You know, it's a reaction, a self-defense reaction that happens. Yeah, I don't understand why the system don't get it. That we, uh, You know, I mean, like the women here, we all get specialized therapy yeah. to help to save space to talk about whatever you know, and we, we've got a therapist and she's amazing because this woman actually works in the prison. So she's worked with every, you know, like murder, paedophilia, the highest or whatever 
any of us say to her, she's not shocked. Yeah. And we need that space to be able to talk about whatever. Yeah, not even just supported houses in the prison system as well. I mean, for me, like Holloway did a lot, a lot of good work. And, and like you've got a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So money should be poured in. Don't get me wrong. If money should be poured in where they, they get therapy, specialised therapy, they, you know what I mean, rehabs in prisons. And, you know what I mean, if people must go to must go to prison, then there needs to be some rehabilitation programme, not just left in a cell or something nutty like that. Because and then they'll money just end up going back. I mean, it's just, well, it's economics. They'll yeah, just end up it, going back. And, you know, if we're talking about it costing two, three grand a week to keep someone in prison, then how does that make any sense? It doesn't make sense. It's nonsense. And Mandy, the, the, also the, talking about what we were just saying, but the women who come through you, who go to, the, to Newham, do you find that most of them or all of them have, are victims of domestic or sexual abuse? You know, is that something which is almost universal? Most, and there's more to be revealed in, in some. Yeah. When I started to talk about my own, it felt like the whole everybody I was in contact with had been through sexual trauma. Yeah. And and the idea that, you know, there's no specific legislative basis, you know, that history of abuse isn't considered as a mitigating factor, you know, that these women are going into the worst place they could possibly put, which is in prisons. It's like... Ah, yeah. It's crazy. It's just in this endless loop. Well... Mandy, you've broken that loop for a lot of people and I hope that you break it for a lot more. And whatever it means, there's a geezer in South London in his airing cupboard who thinks you're amazing. And <laughs> I think what you've done is, is inspirational. Uh-huh. I just, I just want to, yeah, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to run in the Olympics. I was really, I was a fantastic runner. Oh, really? Um, but I was brilliant. Uh, but when I got older, I didn't run in the Olympics, but I got to carry the Olympic torch. I saw that, man. Uh, That's amazing. Yeah, I got to do something. So what, what I'm saying is sometimes what, what you feel you might have been robbed as, uh, as a child or, or growing up, it can give and be given back to you in, in in another way, in something else. It's like today, my mum and dad's dead, right? And and they they were um, both part of my abuse. But now, now when it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, I can say Happy Father's Day, Happy Mother's. Day. I'm free. That child is free to genuinely mean that. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a Mother's Day and a Father's Day. A mother's. I love you, Mum Mug, and I love you, Dad Mug. And at different times, I'll pick him up and I say, "I love you, Dad." I could never say that yeah. when he was alive or when I was out there. But but um, I've been given that back, the freedom of a child to be able to love their parent through this gift, the gift of of recovery. Well, you know the other thing, Mandy, about the running. Okay, it's amazing you said that about being a great runner. And I'm a runner. I love it. And to a degree, it's part of my therapy. You know, the the running is is something that you do you know to clear your head and to be alone and as we get older and I'm not talking about you Mandy but as, what's brilliant is you're a great runner when you're young and then there's a load of time when you're behind everyone but like um maybe a reflection of what you're saying about recovery as you get older and other people stop <laughs> you start to get better again so the time <laughs> the time I'm 75 I might start beating people again at running yeah. <laughs> if I keep going, so the lesson is to keep going, right? Keep going. That's it. Just keep putting one foot in front of Probably the other. other. Yeah. <laughs> if you're interested in hearing more about the More Than My Past campaign and viewing dozens more inspirational stories, check out the campaign website, morethanmypast.org.uk. 
And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends, subscribe, and look out for future episodes. Thank <laughs> you.